Dr. Altalisha Taylor is a family medicine resident, professional speaker, doctorpreneur, and money coach who promotes physician wellness through financial literacy. She's the founder of CareerMoneyMoves.com and creator of the Facebook group Financial Grand Rounds, two platforms that help busy young professionals, especially doctors, put systems in place to build wealth. So we first discussed something unrelated to personal finance, and it was how someone who went to a super competitive undergrad like Duke chose the not-so-competitive specialty of family medicine. And ultimately, it came down to how one defines success and why it's important to make sure that we have internal measures of success rather than external ones. Then we got into the money stuff. Like how, as a resident, she can discuss real estate when none of us had two nickels to rub together during residency. The worst advice she ever got, money mistakes she's made, common advice she gives to colleagues, and why physicians love Robert Kiyosaki so much, who has recently become a doomsday prepper. Dr. Alicia Taylor got her bachelor's degree from Duke, an MPH from George Washington University, MD from the University of Florida, and did her residency at Emory University. She was an exclusive content writer for Doximity, worked at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, spent time in private equity, and even created the Personal Finance Guide for Residents and Fellows at Emory and is now on the GME website. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. Those on this podcast accept no liability for the outcomes of medical decisions based on this information. As the radiologists like to say, clinical correlation is required. This is not medical advice, and this does not constitute a physician-patient relationship. If you have a medical problem, seek medical attention. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. And now a word from this week's sponsor, Laurel Road. Buying a home like the one I grew up in has been my dream. We had this great yard where my brother and I would run under the sprinklers. We had a big kitchen table where I told my parents I got into med school. Now I'm a member of Laurel Road for Doctors, where I got a great rate on a physician mortgage and was eligible for no money down and no PMI, so I could make new memories in my own home. Laurel Road for Doctors. Banking insights and benefits uniquely designed for doctors. See laurelroad.com slash doctorhome for full terms and conditions. Laurel Road is a brand of KeyBank NA and Equal Housing Lender. NMLS 399797. Dr. Aldalisha Taylor, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So first, before we talk about money stuff, which (laughs) was going to be the bulk of our conversation, right? Money moves. um, I want to talk to you about imposter syndrome because I heard you on another podcast talking about it. And the, the reason was you're a family medicine resident and you went to Duke for undergrad, right? And, and, you know, when, if I, you know, if there was someone in my class in medical school that went to Duke, I would think, you know, they're going into Durham, they're going to play, they're going to do something super competitive. Um, And so you had to kind of come to grips with the fact that you were going into a specialty that might, that's, that's not viewed as competitive. And so I I thought it was interesting the way that you, you spoke about it. And I'd like to hear you share that with my audience. Yeah, no problem. So um, I went to Duke for undergrad, go Blue Devils, go Coach K, go the Royal Blue for all of my Dukies out there who are listening to this. Um, I'm a Dukie through and through. Um, but yes, I went to Duke for undergrad. Um, I did my under, I did my medical school, sorry, at the uh, University of Florida. So go Gators as well. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's interesting 
um, when I was deciding what I, what I wanted to specialize in, it was a difficult decision for me. I mean, I knew that I wanted to do sports medicine. What I didn't know was what route am I going to go to get there? And I thought I can be an orthopedic surgeon and I can do surgeries or I can go through the primary care route. And I had a master's in public health. I had a degree in public policy. Um, I really loved helping people. I really loved all of the things that I did in medical school from, you know, seeing kids to delivering babies to seeing adults in clinics. I really loved it all. And I felt like family medicine was the best fit for me. But I'll be honest with you, I was scared. And it wasn't because I didn't like family medicine. It wasn't because I didn't respect the specialty. I was scared because I took out six-figure student loan debt and I was choosing a specialty that was on the lower end of the pay scale. And yeah, you know, we can all say you shouldn't go into medicine for the money. I don't think any of us did or we wouldn't have made it this far. But let's not kid ourselves. Money is important, especially when you're someone like me who has six-figure student loan debt. And I was nervous. I thought, oh my goodness, is this the right specialty for me? And then couple that with the fact that, like you said, I went to Duke for undergrad, right? A lot of people thought that I was smart. They viewed me as someone who had really high test scores or who could do anything that she wanted. I had a lot of connections in a lot of different fields. I networked very easily. Um, I did really well in medical school. And so they thought, why are you going into this lower paid specialty? Why not choose something that's more prestigious? Why not choose something that makes you look good in front of other people? And so I had both of those things tucking at me, the reality that family medicine didn't pay as much. And then the expectation of other people that wanted me or expected me to do more or do something that was more competitive. And it was a real mind shift for me. It was something that I had to come to grips with. And I talk about this story of me literally sitting on my couch. I am a third year medical student. I'm trying to figure out what the heck to go into, trying to make this decision. Do I do family medicine? Do I do orthopedic surgery? And then if I decide not to do orthopedic surgery, should I really go into family medicine? Maybe PM&R is safer. Maybe emergency medicine is safer. Maybe internal medicine is safer or better or would make me look like I was smarter to other people. And it was this real decision that I had to come to grips with. And like I said, I was sitting on my couch and I was talking to my dad, him and I are very close. And he said, Leisha, at some point, you've got to define success for yourself. You got to stop making moves. You got to stop doing things that you feel like make you look good to other people. And you've got to define success for yourself because at the end of the day, you're the one that's going to have to live your life. At the end of the day, you're the one that's going to have to go through the residency. And if you choose something that you do not like just for the money or just to look good for other people, you're going to be the one that suffers. And if you're worried about money, Alicia, I can teach you how to invest. If you're worried about money, we can talk about how to get rid of your student loan debt. If you're worried about money, we can put plans in place, put systems in place so that you can learn to build wealth so that that's no longer a concern for you and you can still have the career that you desire in the life that you want. Wait a second. So if you hadn't had this conversation, he was just going to be like, okay, good luck with the six figures. <laughs> right. was, he was going to withhold that advice from you. I mean, it sounds like he's got a lot of great advice there. Uh, my dad's a wonderful man, um, but you know, as you mentioned, I went to Duke, and I don't think there's a day that goes by that he doesn't remind me of the cost of that education. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's an interesting conversation between him and I. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's an excellent point, right? Like, you're, you, who am I doing this for? Who am I? choosing a residency for because of how what I think I'm going to enjoy and where I will be able to give the most or 
how I'm going to be perceived. And I think there is a, a huge weight that we put on how others perceive us when we are choosing our specialties and then continues throughout throughout our career. So who am I doing it for? And the fact that you're able to to reckon with that so early in your career is is great, is great. So, I, you know, I'm hoping our guests can take something away from that. And so that sounds like that was also the birth of career money moves, right? Absolutely. Great Absolutely. Segue. Yes, yes. I love it. I love it. Um, yes. Yeah, so that, tell us that, about career money moves. It's a blog website, um, online forum uh, that I created to answer a lot of the finance questions that my med school classmates, my residency classmates had. Um, I had an econ background. I will say that I was not an econ major but I majored in public policy at Duke, which for those who aren't familiar, public policy is a blend between political science, psychology, and economics. And what that meant was I had taken econ courses. I had actually strongly considered a career on Wall Street. I was in Duke's Financial Educational Partnership, which had a mission to bring more females and Hispanics and minorities in general on Wall Street. And that meant I had mentors at Goldman Sachs and Barclays Capital and all of the Wall Street banks. I had interviews at private capital um, firms and private equity firms. And so I was very intertwined in that field. And so I had an econ background. That being said, I did not know a lot about personal finance because I think there's a difference between institutional investing and personal finance for yourself and best habits and, and what to do. Because I think when you're talking about Wall Street, you can get caught up in individual stocks and options and puts and things like that um, versus personal finance is, is a lot different, right? It's how are you going to structure your life? Are you going to make a spending plan? Are you going to have an investing plan? Are you going to have an, an asset protection plan? How are you going to build the life that you want? Um, and so that was very different. And so when I decided to go into family medicine, that is when the emphasis on personal finance really started to hit the plate. That is when I learned a lot about student loans. That's when I learned about disability insurance. That's when I learned a lot about investing for myself. And as I continued to learn those things, books, podcasts, you know, lectures, conferences, you name it, um, talking to other colleagues, other people that were much older and much more experienced than I was, people who had built wealth and, and all kinds of things. Um, once I learned that information, a lot of my med school classmates at the time were asking me questions. I kept getting asked the same questions. Which student loan plan should I be in? You know, uh, do I need disability insurance? Why do they keep asking me about life insurance? You know, how do I pick the right job? You know, because should I buy a house? Because they want your money. <laughs> they want your money. Because they're nice people and they want to make sure you're taken care of. Yes, and they like yes. feeding <laughs> Um, it's like, I kept being asked the same questions and I thought, why don't I write this down? And so that was the birth of career money moves, which is my blog, um, where I answered a lot of these questions. You get a deep dive into my thoughts and I, I talk about all of these issues. And, um, so that's where career money moves started. Um, and it's just branched off from there, from there, you know, I went to residency at Emory, uh, in Atlanta and I created the personal finance guide for Emory residents. That's on the GME website, started speaking to a lot of physician groups, spoke at the white coat investor conference. And so this has been an, a, a way for me to really educate a lot of my doctor friends and, and just other doctors in general, other young professionals on personal finance is I really believe that a key to wellness is financial literacy, because the best thing that money can buy is control over your time. And as a resident, you want more money. As an attending, you want more time. And so figuring out a way to get both of those things is key. Yeah, one of the major causes of divorce is financial woes. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, totally, Absolutely. totally right. So, um, so it sounds like 
a lot of people were asking you questions, and so you turned it into a blog. It sounds like as a way to, to avoid having those conversations, right? <laughs> Just look. I've got a blog post on it. Google it. Look it up. Here it is. I'll print it out for you. I don't want to have to say the same thing again. How many times do I have to tell? That, is well, that just, that, that's what I'm hearing here. No. Okay. So here's the thing. <laughs> I like to talk. If you if you couldn't tell already, I, I like to talk. Um, and so I don't have any problems uh, talking to a lot of my med school classmates answering questions. One of the things I love actually. Um, but you know, to be honest with you, I really wanted to help people that didn't know me personally. Because because what, what I was understanding and realizing was that my friends knew what to do because they were able to access me. They knew who I was, right? But there's lots of people who have probably never even heard of me before, right? Like how would long. you? Not for long. <laughs> right, because we're speaking it into existence. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously. So a lot of people may not have ever heard of me before, right? But I thought, what if I can write this down? I can publish this article. I can start this blog. Maybe they'll eventually hear of the blog. I'll publish this article on Kevin MD, on the White Coat Investor, on a lot of these other sites. Maybe people can get this information in some sort of way so that they can be empowered to make the best decisions for themselves or at least know what they should do, shouldn't do, or get some general guidance. So as you're dispensing advice to, to your friends, the ones that do have access to you, what are, what's one of the most common pieces of advice or clarity that you're giving? Yeah. So I think, um, if I had to narrow it down, um, I would probably say three things. One is get a plan for your student loans. My, my friends have heard me say that a million times, a lot of folks have student loans. And so having a plan for your student loans is key. And one of the things that I do is try to walk people through the different plans. Um, and it can get pretty nuanced, but I, I tell people get a plan for your student loans. And if all else fails, just sign up for public service loan forgiveness and at least get your foot in the door with that program so you can get your loans forgiven. And so um, I would say number one is get a plan for your student loans. Um, number two is protect yourself. I always say that protect yourself and and what do i mean by that protect yourself against emergencies by having an emergency fund protect yourself and your future income by getting disability insurance yes it's that annoying thing that everyone tries to email spam you about but you actually do need so um, protecting yourself um, and the third thing would probably be start investing a lot of doctors i found know very little about investing you you mentioned a roth ira they don't know how that's different from a 403b or a 401a and i get it it's complicated no one's ever taught you those things before and it's and boring so, <laughs> so boring but you All know those what numbers but no but it's not <laughs> but that's the thing is i think a lot of that industry is it makes it opaque um unnecessarily it's ultimately not that complicated there aren't that many things you might not have to memorize them you just have to know the few things that you need to know so once you figure it out you get those sauce systems in place so just give uh, give an example of one of those things right yeah for, so for our audience yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I will tell my co-residents is start investing and they say, what, how, what account to use? And I'm like, if all else fails, you can use your residency 403B or a Roth IRA. But people say, what should I invest in? That's inevitably the next question. And I'm not a financial advisor, so let me say this first. However, what I usually say is index funds. And they say, what the heck is that? And I say, instead of picking which stock to choose, just pick them all. And that's what an index fund is. You just pick them all. <laughs> um, and that usually simplifies things a little bit. And then they ask, well, how do I invest in an index fund? Which one should I choose? And I can tell them what the most popular ones are. But that's usually where I start when it comes to at least investing.
Yeah, I and I, I'm not a financial advisor either. And this is not financial <laughs> advice. And this is not medical advice. And I'm not your doctor. Um, but uh, it's amazing that we have to say these things, but we do, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I I totally agree. That's what what I invest in is I'm totally in index funds. You don't you can't pick stocks, and neither can they. And if you pick it, if you buy at the right time, how do you know how to sell at the right time? How do you know what the right time is? And the right time is when you need the money. And so, yes, um, uh, I, I completely agree with that. And and there are a lot of people that try to convince themselves that they can pick stocks. And ultimately, the, the statistics say uh, say otherwise. Um, so an, another thing that's on your um, website, it's on your blog, is, is real estate. Real estate. Real estate. As a resident. Like, how... What is happening there? How are you talking about real estate as a resident? Yeah, so um, I got interested in real estate like most people I know did who read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I'll be honest with you, right? I Great am segue, not... we'll be talking about that soon. <laughs> um, you know, there are some pros and cons to that book. There are some things that people like and dislike about the book. But one of the things that I will say is that it, and most people who read it, it causes a paradigm shift in the way that they think about money, in the way that they think about building wealth. And I will say that one of the takeaways that many people have from that book is the um, fact that one of the ways to build wealth in this country is through real estate. Um, it is not the only way to build wealth. You do not have to invest in real estate to build wealth, but it is one of the major ways to do so. And when you talk about how can I build wealth when I don't necessarily have a lot of money to start with, real estate is one of those avenues that allows you to use OPM or other people's money to get started. <laughs> uh, and so at the time when I really started writing about real estate, I was a fourth year medical student, right? So I was broke, broker than broke. Um, and <laughs> I was like, I want to build wealth. I want to be able to create the life that I desire with more control over my time. <laughs> I'm broker than broke. <laughs> and I want to build wealth. Yes, okay. I, I not only want money, but I want wealth, right? Because wealth allows me to build the life that I desire. And so I was like, how can I do that? And I know that I can do that through index investing, which is one of the things that I do as a resident. But I also know that one of the ways to kind of massively increase your returns is through real estate. Now, when we say real estate, there's a lot of different things, right? Some people can think that I mean single family homes. Some people can think that I mean duplexes and triplexes. Some people think I mean apartments. Some people think I mean land. There's all different forms of real estate investing. But when I started the real estate portion, it was really about, you know, how can you get started in real estate? Um, what are the different avenues to explore and figuring out what may be best for me or not? Um, and then another portion of that real estate um, blog part was buying a home. Because I think when I was um, graduating from med school, I can't tell you how many of my med school classmates, one of the first things that they wanted to do was buy a house, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that desire. Most of us have spent years and years, decades, you know, in school. And one of the first signs of adulting for a lot of people is being able to buy a house. And so I get it, I get that desire. And I was someone who was very intentional about not buying a house. And a lot of my classmates were buying houses. And so it was like, well, Leisha, why are you different? Why did you decide against this? You know? Um, and so for me, a lot of those blogs are, should you buy a house when you graduate from med school? And it was why I'm not buying a house. One of my most popular articles, I think that I published on Kevin MD was 12 reasons why I'm not buying a house after I graduate from med school. And it was really kind of breaking down all of the nuances involved in buying a house, the pros and cons of renting versus buying. And 
that the right decision may be different for different people, but my main purpose was to get people to really make sure that they were factoring in all of the different nuances instead of just comparing rent price to a mortgage and saying, oh, one's better than the other. Yeah, well, you get something with your money because you are paying uh, into equity of the home versus paying in rent, but ultimately that math does not always work out. And on top of the fact that the real estate generally goes up, but I'm a great example of what happens when you buy in residency because I bought in 2007 and sold in 2011. So <laughs> that did not work out well at all. And it was a long time before I actually bought um, real estate again. And now I'm, I'm coming around. I'm trying to, um, we, we had an episode a while ago on short-term rentals. So, you know, I'm trying to convince my audience to, if you're, if you're wading into the real estate market and you're an attending, right? Use someone else's money to buy yourself a vacation home. So do all the market research of like, what's going to be an awesome vacation home and people are going to be like-minded as you and think that that's awesome. And then you rent it to them in a short-term rental format. And you then, anytime you're not there, they're helping to pay your mortgage for your vacation house. So that's another way to get into So there's, and there's cash flow from the short-term rentals and there's equity from the house itself. And there's tons of tax advantages because the tax laws were written by rich landowners, yes. right? That's who made the tax laws. Why? To benefit them. So yes, yeah, real estate. It's, but so, okay, so wait, your foray into real estate was not buying real estate. That's what I'm hearing. Like <laughs> you started blogging about why you shouldn't, but. Okay. Okay. So well, then, you know what? I almost bought a house, which was its own story that I don't know if I've blogged about, but I, I was so close to buying a house. Um, but it wasn't for me to live in. I was actually going to buy my first rental property as a medical student. <laughs> uh, and so that was an interesting uh, thing. I'm a pretty good at networking. And so master at trying to get OPM, other people's money, uh, to buy the property. Um, ended up not buying it for a slew of reasons. Um, one was I didn't live near the property. I was gonna be a resident. It was gonna be a little too much to manage, I thought. Um, looking back in hindsight, that was probably a great decision. But um, I was so close to buying a real estate property and I had networked my way into getting a lot of deals. I still get emails nowadays for apartment syndications and, and that kind of thing. I went to a lot of real estate meetups, met a lot of awesome folks. And so very still, you know, very, very much into real estate. I invest in REITs now, which is like an index fund for real estate properties. Um, and so that's one of the things that I do, but I definitely plan to get even more into real estate. It's just obviously been challenging <laughs> as uh, like being a resident. But uh, once I finish residency, once I finish fellowship, um, definitely something that I'll be looking into. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll have a great, uh, great foundation. So you mentioned Robert Kiyosaki, right? <laughs> and this is an individual that keeps on the name Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Ah, oh, like, <laughs> I can't tell how, how many times I've heard that name, how many times I've heard about that book, and how many, like, in for physicians. What is the physician obsession with Robert Kiyosaki? I mean, you got into it a little bit with the, with the explanation of it. It's like, a, it's a paradigm shift. So why do you think doctors are so obsessed? Is, is it because we are, we are people who are in another profession would have been management, but we find ourselves actually being the labor and he helps you like kind of change the way you use your money so that you become more of a manager is that or is that am I, am I off here what's what's your what's your thought here well i think there are a couple of things i think the first thing is storytelling and that sounds very random and yeah. like what is she talking about storytelling anytime that you're able to make a point and tell a story it resonates better 
So if you've heard a keynote talk at a conference, right? Someone just spewing information, you get bored. You start looking at your phone, you're like, why are they up there? I don't really care. Even like in residency, right? Grand rounds, ugh you know, snooze fest, right? But the the people that you listen to the most, the people that resonate with you the most, the ones you're like, wow, that was good. They're really able to connect it to your life. They're able to tell a story. A storytelling is a key way to make a point. And so this is kind of like a public speaking tip 101. But one of the things about Rich Dad Poor Dad is he's telling a story. He's telling a story that's engaging. So that's number one. Number two, it's, it's a book about money without telling you a lot of details. And doctors don't know a lot about finance. A, a lot of doctors don't, don't know a lot about finance. And so they're not going to read a lot of doctors, let me say, are not going to read a book that is like very detail oriented on finance stuff, right? It's not a topic that a lot of doctors are particularly interested in, right? But if you're able to tell a story and you're, and you don't get caught up in the weeds, it tends to be a book that people are able to get through. Okay. So you're telling a story. Um, you're, you're, you're not so much in the weeds that you're boring a lot of people. And then number three, not all those teaching... numbers you were talking about before <laughs> Roth and 403B, <laughs> 529A. And you don't see that. Seven. Yeah. Um, but the, the third thing, and this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier is the paradigm shift. And so what do I mean by that? I mean that there are very few books that I found that make you think about things differently. There are books that can teach you something you did not know, but there are very few books who can change your entire thinking. And some people get that paradigm shift, some people don't, but I find that the folks who read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, who liked the book, they got that same paradigm shift that I did. And so what is it? It's the fact that your life can be drastically different if you're able to build wealth, right? And that the ways that you have been taught on how you can become financially stable are not necessarily correct, right? We have been taught if you're smart, you get a good job and you get paid really well. If you're smart, you become a doctor like you and I. And then what we realize, unfortunately, after we've already gone through medical school, after we've gone through residency, is that maybe we were sold a bill of goods. Like, yes, doctors get paid well, but they don't get paid well in residency. And you have to work a lot. And you're constantly trading your time for money. And eventually, you get to this point, usually as an attendant. But that's what a job is. A job is trading your time for money. Exactly. And what he's saying in that book is that... That's preposterous. <laughs> that's all jobs. The wealthy, all jobs are trading your time the wealthy do not trade their time for money. And that is the paradigm shift is that when you try to build, yes, you can build wealth slowly over time through index investing, which a lot of doctors do very, very successfully. So I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that because that's one of the things that I plan to do, right? But he's also like the wealthiest people in the world did not become wealthy by being an employee. They became wealthy by building a business, by investing in real estate and by getting really good at taxes. Let's just keep it 100. You build a business, you invest in real estate, and you hire a really, really, really great tax person. Um, and that's the paradigm shift of, of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I think that's why that book is so popular, because as doctors, no one really talks to us about finance, period. And no one talks to us about finance in that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did I make you a believer? Uh, <laughs> I might have to actually read it. <laughs> yes. I mean, I don't actually get paid by Robert Kiyosaki. So like if someone knows him, like, come on, <laughs> endorsement, deal, sponsorship, something. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I'll write a blog post for her. That'd be great. Okay. So have you, 
gotten any financial advice that you would be willing to share with us that you thought was so awful that you cannot believe that someone actually gave it to you? What is the worst financial advice that you've gotten? Wow. Um, man, the worst financial advice that I've gotten. If you are a doctor, you don't have to worry about money. So, um, and so that one was pretty bad. Uh, it's, no, it's true. It's true. It's true. You know, we, um, you spoke at the white coat investor conference and, uh, you know, Jim Dolly's famous for live like a resident. So if you live like a resident forever, then you don't have to worry about money because you'll have, you'll have plenty of it. You just have to live like a resident forever. Um, so, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, uh, I guess everybody, it just, um, I don't know if there's any profession where you always have to worry about money. It's, it's a finite resource, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, and, and everyone is, is, is every, everyone is different. Their, their experience is different in medical school, but what I was taught in undergrad and in medical school, I mean, I was getting my master's was that you're going to get paid really well as a doctor. So you don't have to worry about money because the money's just going to be there, right? If you just do what you do and just work, you'll be fine. And I found that that is not true, right? Especially when it comes to student loans, like what the heck? Like yeah. the student loan burden has increased exponentially. Your older docs who are in their 60s and 70s don't, didn't have the same student loan burden that I have, right? No, no, so medical me, school is like $5,000 a year or something. something right, they could pay for yeah, it with yeah. a summer job, right? Whereas yeah. I've got six figure student loan debt that almost made me not choose the specialty I loved because of the debt, right? So for me, not worrying about money, well, that's interesting for you to say, but what about for someone like me who, you know, I didn't grow up poor, but I also didn't grow up rich, right? I still have student loan debt that I need to pay off. And if my, my, my job is not, you know, paying my student loan debt, then obviously that's something that I need to plan for. Um, and, and there are a whole host of things, you know, I, I heard some bad advice about, you know, just don't worry about your student loans and training. They'll, they'll, they'll take care of themselves right? A lot of people put their loans into forbearance or refinance with a private company and now shooting themselves in the foot. Forbearance. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, so that's bad advice. You know, you don't need disability insurance. All right. Just talk to a doctor who got disabled or got diagnosed with a mental health illness and, and is no longer able to work and now has no way to, you know, have an income for their family. Um, I've, I've heard a bunch of stuff like, you don't need to worry about investing. You can just save. I don't know anybody who's saving their way to wealth, right? You, you can't save your way to wealth. <laughs> you have to. It. Where do you save it? A savings like, account making 0.01% per year. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's like you have Low, to invest. Yeah, slower than inflation. Actually, you're technically losing money <laughs> if you're saving and and the inflation rate is outpacing your, your interest rate. Yes. Oh yeah. my goodness. Don't even get me started. A lot of doctors don't even get cost of living raises each year. So you're basically losing money because your employer is paying you the same and inflation is now 7%. But yeah. you know what? I can go on a time. <laughs> yeah, we renegotiate our contracts with insurance companies every few years. And so if the inflation rate continues at this rate, then we're, you know, we're really getting hosed. Um, so, so you got some terrible advice. Sounds like you didn't take any of it, which is great. <laughs> but have you made any money mistakes that you'd be willing to share with us? Oh my goodness. Yes. 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 Um, one of my biggest money mistakes is taking out a bunch of credit card debt. And um, it was in shame on me, right? Because I, I had already graduated from Duke at that time. I had already like worked in private equity at that time. So I, I kind of like knew better. I had some econ background, but 
I took out a credit card and I was charging a lot of expenses on my credit card. Now, to be frank, it wasn't like I was like going on like international vacations or things like that, but I had moved to DC um, and I decided I was gonna change the world. I am someone who at 22 is going to change the world. So I moved to DC <laughs> to, to work in policy uh, because I really thought that I was gonna change the world. And I took an underpaid job and um, realized that DC at the time and probably still is now was very, very expensive. And so it just happened to be that the job that I got was not paying enough to cover my bills. And I charged a lot of expenses to my credit card to be able to cover those costs, right? And so some people might say, oh, well, that's not bad debt. The point is that I had a lot of credit card debt. So after doing that for a year, I had a lot of credit card debt. Um, and by the time I went to medical school and I was, you know, paying for med school applications and secondary applications and paying to take my MCAT and paying to move, um, all of those things, you know, the credit card debt was increasing. And as a med student, I couldn't work, or at least I didn't work. And so that credit card just kept accruing. And by the time that I started residency, I had like $10,000 in credit card debt. Like it was a lot. And I'm someone who's debt averse. I'm someone who was really like kicking myself in the foot saying, how am I gonna get rid of this credit card debt? And some people might be like, oh, don't worry about it. You can just pay it off as an attending. Well, I didn't want to do that. I felt like the longer I had debt, the longer I was gonna be paying interest payments on that debt, the longer it was gonna take for me to really start investing and really start building wealth. And so I made a plan to pay it off. I decided I was gonna live with a roommate. I decided that I was going to set aside money from each paycheck into a separate account that I used to pay off the debt. I decided I was gonna drive a really old car. You know, I decided that I wasn't gonna take the vacations that some of my co-residents were taking, but I really sacrificed to pay it off and I was able to pay it off within like a year and a half, I think something like that. But so I paid it off pretty quickly, but I would say one of my biggest money mistakes was having a bunch of credit card debt, right? Because imagine if I would have just taken that money that I used to pay off that debt and would have been able to invest it earlier, would have been able to, you know, buy real estate properties. That's, a, that's another reason why I didn't buy real estate was because I was like, I probably should pay off the credit card debt that I have. <laughs> um, yeah, at the interest rates that they sometimes have you at. The, uh, yeah, that seems like a no brainer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that was probably one of my biggest mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Um, any final bits or pieces of advice for our audience, whether it's anything, whether it's real estate, financial advice, student loans, starting a blog, anything, any parting wow. advice for, for our audience? Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing is define success for yourself. Um, so if you missed the beginning part of that podcast, rewind it, define success for yourself, make sure that you have an end goal in mind and define what you really want. Um, so that's one thing. The next thing is start caring about money, right? You don't have to obsess over it, but I would get a plan, whether that's a student loan plan, an investing plan, um, an asset protection plan, get some sort of plan in place. So once you define what you want, come up with goals and objectives so that you can get there. All right. So make sure that you're having a plan. Um, and then, you know, don't be limited by what other people say is possible. I am a resident and I have a whole side business. I do consulting on the side. I, you know, I'm going to do some podcasting on the regular. I get to do all these really cool things. Why? Because I decided that I could do it. Even as a resident, even as someone in training, I decided that I could make money as a resident on the side. And that's exactly what I did. And if I had listened to everyone else, they would have told me just focus on your training or maybe you can moonlight. And I decided that I wasn't going to listen to that advice. And so I want to say that you're unstoppable. You are smarter than you think. You are more capable than you believe. And you can do anything you set your mind to. And so decide what it is that you want and go after it. 
Awesome. Awesome. So we can find you at careermoneymoves.com, but you yes. mentioned that podcast. Where <laughs> else can we find you? Yes, yes, yes. Physician philosopher, physician philosopher. So go to that podcast um, and you will see me there a couple times a month. Fantastic. Altalisha Taylor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.